Hey Prodigal, happy September and welcome to week one of our new series, Paparazzi, The World is Watching. In this series, we'll explore our lives as followers of Christ in a world that's always watching. We had such a great time at our end of summer Sunday last week. Thank you to all who signed up to volunteer here at Prodigal. We could not do what we do without you. Next week, we'll start signups for our fall session of small groups. Everyone is invited to check out the group board and find one that works for you. These groups are always incredible and a great way to build relationships, so don't miss out. Also next Sunday, September 10th, we're hosting our next women's event here at Bullard at 5 p.m. We're partnering with Fresno Rescue Mission. We'll have dinner, we'll listen to a great speaker, and we're gonna spend time in community loving and serving our neighbors. It's gonna be a great event. We hope to see you there. It feels like this past year has just flown by and we were just celebrating our fifth birthday, but Prodigal is turning six. On September 17th, here at Bullard, we'll be celebrating all that God has done and looking forward to the many years ahead. As always, if you'd like to stay up to date on all things Prodigal, make sure you've downloaded our app. If you'd like to give to Prodigal, you can do so on our app, on our website, or in a kiosk in the lobby. That's all the announcements for today. Thanks for joining us here at Prodigal. Happy Sunday. This is going to be a fun series. It's going to be three weeks, this week and the next, and then we'll pause for Prodigal Church's sixth birthday on September 17th, and then the paparazzi finale will be the last Sunday in September. Paparazzi. The world is always watching. The cameras are always on. And paparazzi, as despised as they are, they exist to meet a demand. If we didn't want to see celebrities look normal, then there would be no need for paparazzi. The truth is, we love seeing celebrities looking like everyday people. We eat that up. And if you don't believe me, just picture yourself at the grocery store, okay? You're at the checkout line, you're right next to that tiny little treadmill, okay? Are you there? Now, look down and to the left. What do you see? Yeah, you see all kinds of magazines with the front cover photos full of celebrities on them. Why are they at the checkout line? Why aren't they in the back near the bakery? Well, because it's an impulse buy. We pick it up, we flip through the pages, it's only a couple of bucks, I'll buy it. The reason why People Magazine, Us Weekly, Cosmopolitan are always next to the checkout line is because it works. We buy these magazines by the truckload. And Us Weekly has this section, uh, fully devoted to paparazzi taking candid photos of celebrities and it's called stars they're just like us and it's fun to kind of see celebrities doing everyday things it's entertaining to see what they really look like away from the silver screen and so this week our social media team followed some of our staff around and took some paparazzi photos that they that we have recreated the us weekly stars like us section uh, here's a few here's Brittany here's Ashley uh, here's Addison getting the mail, and he really likes to drop it like it's hot when he gets the mail every morning. Here's Eric ordering a coffee, and finally here's me at the church storage unit. Now, I am very grateful that the paparazzi don't follow me around, uh, because no doubt they would take some pictures that I wouldn't want published. And if the paparazzi followed you around, you'd be quite nervous as well. 
Throughout this series, we're going to look at the most famous celebrity in the Bible. And the paparazzi, they followed him around everywhere. Except they didn't take photos, they weren't around back then, but they did record stories, and these stories are scandalous. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to look at David. In the Old Testament alone, David's name is mentioned over a thousand times. Well more than Moses, way more than Abraham, half the Psalms are ascribed to him. Historian Baruch Halpern said that David is the first human being in world literature. He's saying that in his story, there's so much good and there is so much bad. This is not some supernatural being with no faults. Another historian said that he played exquisitely, he fought heroically, he loved titanically, yet he was a profoundly simple being. Cheerful, sad, selfish, generous, sinning one moment, repenting the next. The most human of characters in the Bible. The most human of characters in the Bible. I love that phrase. We are all human characters. Even when we see someone larger than life like King David, we are all the most human characters, good and bad. Did you know that more has been written about David than any other biblical character? 66 chapters are dedicated to him and 59 references in the New Testament. And we see so much of David in us, in our best and in our worst. One atheist scholar said he must have actually existed and most of it must be true because no people would deliberately invent a national hero so deeply flawed. King David is seen as the greatest king in Israel's history. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks exploring this man. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's where we'll be today. Verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel is the prophet of God and Saul is the king. Now, if Saul hears that Samuel is looking to anoint the next king, well, his life would be in danger. Not only he, but also the person he anoints. So Samuel says to God, well, how can I do what you say? Saul's going to kill me. And then God tells Samuel to lie. He goes, say that you're going to go offer a sacrifice. Just don't tell him what you're really going to do. Okay, is God, one of our teenage friends, giving us a good lie to tell our parents? Now, it was a lie to preserve life. A white light to be sure, but deception nonetheless. Still, it's worth noting that David is anointed in a cloud of mild deception. Does he at this moment learn to adopt the self-protective shading of the truth from the very prophet who gives him his start? Now, we're going to have some fun here with this next part. It says this in our story, verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, 
Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So the first contestant to be the new king of Israel, Jesse's oldest son, Eliab. Eliab means my God, my father. Okay, so I've got a picture here of Chris Hemsworth. Okay, his looks just scream king. At 40 years old and standing at nearly six foot four inches tall, he's the oldest, he's the tallest. This is the best of Jesse's sons. He must be the Lord's anointed king. But the Bible says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Sorry, Eliab, but you're no king. The passage continues, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What a great line. Okay, more on that later. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. So the next contestant to be the king of Israel, let's hear it for the second oldest son, Abinadab. Now, when I think of Abinadab, I think of The Rock, okay, Dwayne Johnson. And Abinadab was second in line for his father's inheritance, but was last in line when they were handing out names. Okay, Abinadab sounds a lot like a new dance move, okay? His name means father of willingness. He's the strongest of the sons of Jesse. Stronger than Eliab, this guy is torn up from the floor. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Ooh, that's got to hurt. Sorry, Abinadab. So it's not Eliab. It's not Abinadab. Verse 9, Jesse then had Shema pass by. Okay, let's give it up for Shema. I'm picturing Jim Parsons or Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. Okay, this is Shema. And he is a mama's boy. Okay, or Shamama's boy. Shema means to hear or to understand. He's smart. He's the smartest of the sons of Jesse. Okay, he is the bookworm of the family. Don't ask him if he's seen the movie because you know he has read the book. And the book's better. Shema, ladies and gentlemen. This has to be the Lord's anointed. Verse 9. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Sorry, Shema, go cry to your Shema. Jesse had seven sons pass by before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Seven of Jesse's sons are paraded in front of the prophet Samuel, yet none of them are the Lord's choice to become king. So Sammy, he's frustrated. Any one of them, any one of them would have been perfect. Verse 11, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him, go get David. But he's in the field with the sheep. Well, then you watch the sheep, bring David at once. And so we have David. I'm thinking David Bowie, okay? He wasn't the oldest. He wasn't the strongest, he wasn't the smartest, wasn't the tallest, he was a shepherd. And when he was bored, he played music. David means beloved. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, beloved.
Samuel takes a horn of oil, not a flask like he had for King Saul. The Jewish historian Josephus records that at this moment, Samuel leans forward and whispers to David, you are now the king of Israel. Okay, that was fun. It's a great story. And I find it so interesting that this is how it all went down. This is how he got his start. Just think of what must have been going through Samuel's mind. I'm sure he was like, well, we didn't have to do it this way. Certainly there were more efficient ways to go about this. God could have just had said, the next king's out in the field, anoint him. God knew who Samuel was. God knew who Samuel was to appoint. Why didn't he just say that one, the one over there in the field? God didn't have to parade seven people in front of him that looked the part and then say no to each one. It's as if God is saying, I don't just want you to see what I'm saying yes to. I want you to see what I'm saying no to. I'm saying no to appearance. I'm saying no to status. I'm saying no to the most experience. He's retraining Samuel's eyes to see what really matters. Our eyes need to be retrained as well. It's as if God is saying, yes, I want you to go there to anoint the next king, but don't you dare think that that's all you're there for. God is sharpening the prophet Samuel by revealing that even he looks at the outward appearance. Even this man of God can judge a book by its cover. Notice how confident Samuel is when he saw the oldest son, Eliab. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. See, there is something more than the outward appearance. In what ways have you judged a book by its cover? Because man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. There's this clip in this amazing movie called The Replacements. And often I think that I'm going to be in this movie because it's about replacement football players who end up in the NFL. Okay, I think I had what it took. Maybe I still do. And at the end of this movie, uh, the, the, the good NFL quarterback comes back and the scab quarterback played by Keanu Reeves is back at home and they're getting their butts kicked. This is the last game of the year and the coach has asked, uh, what's it going to take for you to get back in the game? And he says, heart. And uh, the heart. interviewer says, excuse me, can you elaborate? And he goes, you gotta have heart. Can you elaborate on that? And just points at his chest and says, tons of heart. Miles and miles of heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's a scripture that we should memorize and recite daily. Now, David doesn't start out as a celebrity, but he becomes a celebrity. The most famous in the Hebrew Bible. And this celebrity accomplishes many things. And like many celebrities, he is prone to scandal. It's interesting that we know that famous people are just like that, us, right? Like, we know it. They're normal. But we think they're not. A part of us still succumbs to the lure. Now, remember when you were a kid and you went to the store with your mom and then you ran into your teacher? Is there a more awkward interaction? Because when you're that young, you only have a lens of like 
teacher-student world of the classroom. But when you see them in the outside world, you no longer have language for it. It's off-putting. It's uncomfortable. They're a person of authority, and yet they're buying Cinnamon Toast Crunch. This isn't just something that happens to us when we're young. We often have a difficult time imagining people of authority being normal, being average. I remember going to this Christian conference one time, and this big name speaker's up there. And he was up there making everybody laugh, and I'm in the crowd, <laughs> and I'm, I'm laughing alongside of everyone. And then, just at the right time, he could make us cry. The amazing stories that he would tell it had me and the crowd completely mesmerized. And it was this powerful, amazing worship service. And then we go to get our lunch, okay? And they, we break for lunch. There was this massive line to kind of get your box lunch. And once you get to the front of the line, you had your choices to make. Okay, first you had your choice of the bag of chips you were going to have. And at the time, all the good ones were taken. So all like the like Cool Ranch Doritos, they're gone. So I'm left with yellow lays or Fritos. Yellow lays, basic lays, nobody likes them. But that's what I took, I like them more than Fritos. And then we got to choose which sandwich we wanted. There were two choices. There was peanut butter and jelly, which is affectionately called PBJ. And then there was tuna, okay? No contest, tuna's gross. So I get my yellow bag of lays and my PBJ and I'm eating lunch, scanning the room, and I see this guest speaker. He's eating his lunch. He's got the same brown bag lunch as everyone else. And he reaches for his chips. And you know this guy got the blue Doritos. And he pulls out a bag of yellow Lay's. And he's talking to everybody at his table. He's really going town on the chips. And the bag is done so he does like the kind of the tap, okay? And gets all the crumbs in his mouth. Really loving it. And this big name speaker, full of authority and power and charisma, this spiritual giant who has this Holy Spirit aura about him is just going to town on basic legs. And it just, like it normalized him for me. And I watched him interact with the people that they walked by. Pastors would walk by and say, great message. And he would seem genuinely interested in the conversation. And the whole time this is going on, I've now finished my box lunch, and I'm a fast eater, and after my lunch, I began to wonder, does he actually like basic lays? Or was he being like a servant leader? Uh, was he eating the chips that no one likes? And what kind of sandwich did he have? And I determined there's only one way to find out. So I walked past his table, and I become one of those pastors, and I say, hey, really good message today. And he says, thanks a lot. And I glance at his bag, and there's a half-eaten PBJ. Okay? So I point at his lunch bag, and I go, PBJ all the way. I fist bumped him and said PBJ all the way. What? Now, this whole lunch episode, it normalized someone that I thought wasn't normal. In some ways, it's exactly what paparazzi does. They normalize the celebrity and they reveal they're just like us. And so throughout this paparazzi sermon series, I want to make it abundantly clear that nobody on earth walks around with a halo all the time. Nobody's life is perfect. Nobody's marriage is perfect. Nobody's family is perfect. Nobody's church is perfect. And I don't know if you know this, but sometimes pastors seem to have it all together. 
or at least portray that they have it all together. When I was in seminary, they taught me about something that was called the minister's mystique. And in some seminaries, they will teach you to stay at a distance from people within your congregation. Because if they see you just as they are, if, you see, if they see you like them, then they're not going to listen to you or your spiritual counsel. So always do your best to project the perfect pastor, the perfect family, the perfect church. And when I heard it, my spirit revolted within me. Because I don't think that projected perfection is the way of Jesus. I think that honesty and vulnerability as the way of Jesus. So throughout this paparazzi series, our goal is not about giving you solutions to vulnerability. Vulnerability is the goal. A pastor friend of mine told me about a church growth conference that he had to go to with his denomination. And the premise of this conference was, we'll teach you how to double the size of your church in two years, in 24 months. Money back guarantee. And here's one of the things that the companies told these churches. They said that no matter how small your church is, you need to have a video camera on the pastor, on a big screen, as soon as you can. Because people want their pastors to be larger than life. It might be true. People may want that. But the trouble is, no one's larger than life. Not David, not me, not the pastor in the big, big time pastor in our city. No matter how big you build your Emerald City Church, when you get behind the curtain, it's always just going to be a normal person. Okay, I love the Wizard of Oz, and I think the metaphor really works here. Uh, no matter how big you build your Oz Emerald City Palace, it's always somebody behind the curtain. So as pastor of Prodigal Church, I'll put on a front, and the church will just live under the assumption that I always operate under the glory of the Lord. Everybody wins. The church gets a pastor that's larger than life, and everyone can go on thinking that I've got it all together. Except I don't. We see it with King David. We see it time and time again in real life. It is a dangerous thing because inevitably you will discover that there is no such thing as wizards. Everybody's normal. And I believe the sooner we acknowledge the human condition and get honest and vulnerable about our own shortcomings, our own desires, our own longings, the sooner we get real, the sooner we look more and more like Jesus. Brene Brown writes, Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Yes. All kinds of yes to that. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Sometimes the Lord parades in front of us all of the things that we should say no to. No to appearance. No to status. And we say no to the lie that any of us has all of the answers and that any of us have it all together. 
And what the scriptures do again and again, and what the Holy Spirit does again and again, is to reveal that we're not perfect, but they point us to Jesus, who is. Jesus, I pray that as we read your word and study your word, that it, it is a mirror that reveals us. And God, I pray that as we follow you, our image looks a lot more like yours. Now let's have it together. God, so I pray, I pray freedom and vulnerability in our lives. I pray against projected perfection, and I pray for that to be replaced with honesty and vulnerability. And God, let that reinvigorate our spiritual lives. And God, let it be something that draws us nearer to you in a greater way, in love for you and in love for the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us for week one of Paparazzi. We hope you have an amazing week. Pray for grace and peace in Maui, in Florida, and in Ukraine.